You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Clementine Taylor, debut author of the brand new novel, Something About Her. It is such a wonderful story about relationships and coming of age, and it is set in my favorite place on earth, Edinburgh, Scotland. In this story, we meet uh, several characters who are going through some things, as you might expect, from their childhood, and they find each other and rediscover a lot of things that they love about themselves and the world around them. It is all about tenderness and fears and hopes and longing and all of the emotions that we all feel many times for the first time when we are at that university age. Absolutely loved the book, and I loved this conversation with Clementine. Her passion is for swimming, something that I have a love-hate relationship with as a runner. We talk about how this passion of hers kind of got uncovered, what she loves about it, and then my own swimming stories as well. Clementine was one of those people that, from the jump, I felt like I had met and found a new friend. Um, We just hit it off instantly. Just a really wonderful human being. And I can't wait to keep chatting with her as the years carry on. Incredible human being. Uh, And speaking of books that are kind of small stories with big emotions, my wheelhouse, I want to talk about Only Love Can Break Your Heart by Ed Tarkington. This is a story that is set in the late 1970s and 1980s. It is the story of a boy named Rocky who worships his older brother, Paul, And uh, his older brother has some issues in life. He has some stuff that he struggles to deal with. And there are a few troubling moments that happen uh, that causes his older brother to basically disappear and move away and leaves Rocky to kind of pick up the pieces. Um, Their family goes through a number of trials and tribulations from getting a fair amount of money to losing that money once again, to being kind of trapped next to these rich neighbors who have an impact on their lives that they just can't get out from underneath. Uh, It is a story that I think every person can relate to because we never know what others are going through. And, you know, we, we all have those people in our lives that are struggling with things that we wish we could help them and we just don't know how. Um, Only Love Can Break Your Heart by Ed Tarkington definitely ripped my heart out and put it back together slowly. The perfect story for me, again, a small story with big emotions, small town, and the relationships that are all intertwined amongst one each other. So I think you'll love Only Love Can Break Your Heart. And Something About Her by Clementine Taylor is one that I know you will love. And it is just out uh, today, if you're listening to this on November 8th, when the podcast gets released. So be sure to check it out. If you're ever looking for more book recommendations or just want to have a chat, you can find me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. And you can see me talking about books all the time on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. Passions and Prologues is the name there as well. All right, that is all the housekeeping. I'm going to let you get to this discussion with Clementine Taylor, author of the brand new Something About Her on Passions and Prologues. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. 
It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Okay, Clementine, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? Um, Okay, Adam. Um, Well, firstly, thanks for having me on. Um, I am so pleased to be here. This was like actually one of the hardest questions that I've ever had to answer. Um, But I've been having a think about it um, and I found it very hard to choose. I I actually, in my head, was comparing it a bit to Desert Island Discs. Do you ever, you ever listen to that where you're like trying to choose your tracks? And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like trying to choose one track mm-hmm. um, because I have some like really long-term passions like cooking and my family and um, singing. I loved your uh, episode with Isa Arson. It was great. Oh, thank um, you. And then some more recent passions like knitting. I took up over the pandemic and gardening. <laughs> Um, but all this to say, I've had a long, hard think. And um, the thing that I am super passionate about that I would love to chat to you about today is swimming. Oh, see, this is why I don't ask ahead of time because I never know what's coming and I'm so excited. Okay, let's get into it. You said this is a more recent passion, right? It is. Yeah, it's 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 very recent, actually. And when I was thinking back to school, when we had to do swimming lessons at school, I was reminiscing about the fact that I I would do anything to try and get out of swimming. And nowadays I literally do anything I can to try and get to the swimming pool. <laughs> so um, so yeah. I will uh I, I will share my own experience with swimming. Please, yeah, I was gonna because, say you're a swimmer as well. Um I am I am not. I have some very funny stories about I mean I can swim. I grew up with uh, my parents had a, an above ground pool in our backyard, but it was like oh, wow. four feet deep. So it wasn't like Sure. And we basically played like basketball in it and like, you know, but we could also stand. So I didn't have to swim too much, but I have like a more recent example. But before we get to my stuff, what got you, like, when did you realize like, oh, wait, I actually really, really like doing this? Yeah. Okay. So um, in January of this year, I actually broke my foot um, and it wasn't even through anything exciting. I just fell, fell down the stairs. <laughs> it's really tragic actually I was like running for the train to get to my friend's birthday party and I just tripped down three stairs landed on the hard floor and I broke my foot I'm playing a tiny violin here Um, (laughs) no it was actually fine and it took me it was it was kind of good timing actually because I was going out to Italy for for three months um placement in March Mm -hmm. and I broke it exactly I think like seven weeks before I was going to Italy and it takes seven weeks or something to heal. So I was just starting to walk. So it was, it was really honestly like one of the best times I possibly could have broken my foot ever. Yeah. Um, but when I was coming towards the end of the recovery, I was feeling quite low because exercise has always been a real means of um, like joy for me and, mm-hmm. um, 
and just a really meditative thing. Like I usually go running every morning. Um, and someone said to me, like, why, why don't you just try swimming? Like get a taxi to the pool and just swim because so low impact and will probably help your recovery because it's good for your blood circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought like, that is such a good idea. So why haven't I thought about that? So I think five weeks, four or five weeks in, I would do exactly that. I would go to the pool in the car, in the taxi, or someone would give me a lift. Um, and I just, it really saved my mental health during that time because I think I was in getting into a bit of a low place and it was just, and I am so kind of have such a kind of amazing association with swimming pools now for that reason. Um, and it's just grown and grown my love for it. I go like two or three times a week now, Mm -hmm. which is, um, hilarious because I used to hate swimming and now (laughs) I can't live without it. Um, but yeah, and it's and I don't know how it works in the US, but it, it, in the UK as well, we have a lot of trouble with, I think half of pools in the UK, like public pools are kind of facing cuts or closures mm. because of the energy bill crisis. And I think, of course, one of like swimming is one of those really kind of natural things for humans to do. We're so designed to do it. And I, I feel now after this, discovering this love for it, that kind of everyone should be able to have access. But I know I'm extremely privileged to have access to a pool. So. Yeah, yeah that is how I got into it. Yeah. There's actually, so there's this book that came out in 2018 called, is it the Lido or is it the Lido? I Lido. Oh my God. It's so funny. Yes. I love that book by Libby Page. Yes. So, yes. I, okay. So I want to ask you about this because, so we do have, like, I think it, it sort of depends here in the States, like the, where I was doing my swimming and I promise I will share my, mm. my story. To Please. Bet. Yeah. I want to hear um, <laughs> That was part of the pool I was using was part of a, like a health and fitness center that I paid monthly dues yeah, to. Sure. Um, we do have public swimming, uh, like pools in the United States where I live in, in Cleveland in the Midwest. Like mm-hmm. they're definitely only open in the summer because it yeah. gets like we get, Freezing. you know, <laughs> exactly. So, but the light in the book, which I loved so wonderful it was like almost open year round. So can you kind of tell me about, this is such like a nerdy question. So, so quickly, and I don't care. Please, I love how it. does like, how do I, cause that's part of that book is they struggle with funding to keep it open. So what is it like, are they open year round? Are you swimming outdoors every day? Like break this down for me. So, okay. So I am so lucky because I'm still a member of a university in Oxford. Um, I get free access to an indoor swimming pool, um, which is just like a 15 minute cycle from where I live. Mm. And, but if you're not a member of the university, you can pay to be a member. So you'd have like an annual membership fee or whatever. Um, but, and I'm going to geek out on this later on. I listen to loads of podcasts and read loads of books about swimming now because, and the Lido being one of them that I read relatively recently. Um, and I think how it works with Lido's in London is, um, or like around the country, mm-hmm. is that they are open all year round. So I know I listened to this podcast um, called The Tidal Year by Freya Bromley, who's written a book of the same name. And um, she often goes to Brockwell Lido. And I think how that works, although I'm not 100% sure, so don't take his gospel, is that you pay um, like a fee to go in. But I might be wrong, and some of those might be. I think some of them might be state funded. I'm not actually 100% sure. So, uh, how, when for these ones that are open 
year round. Uh-huh. Like how cold does it get? <laughs> this is really such, cold. That's like, <laughs> what I was going to say. Like, I know you guys have similar weather to us here in the States. Like, what? how do you, how do people, like if it's, you know, 32 degrees is freezing here, but if it's like in the fifties Fahrenheit, yeah. How are people it's, swimming? I know. I think that some of the pools are heated. Okay. Um, but yeah, I this is another thing that I was wanting to talk about later is that um, in this podcast, and I can't say this because I swim in an outdoor pool and obviously it's like a very recent thing for me, but something that keeps coming up is this idea of like really seeing the se- seasons changing as they're mm. going swimming in the Lidos. And so being able to kind of, not just be at one like with the water and to be in the water, enjoy being in the water, but also to kind of be in this really beautiful natural environment where Mm -hmm. the leaves, the colors of the leaves are changing as we were just talking about earlier. Like you see the autumn coming, you see the winter coming and you really get this sense of, of just being immersed in nature. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about these Lidos as well, being open all year round. I think this might be further proof that swimming isn't for me because... (laughs) My, so I will tell my story now, but I basically the point is like, I, I'd never have a moment to like, look around and be like, wow, my interest. So I'm a distance runner. I, I'm uh-huh. a runner. Um, I talk about, I think I talk about it somewhat frequently on here, but I'm a, I'm a, I run marathons. Uh, my, my brother and I just ran um, a marathon a couple of weeks. Or and week you're running Boston, now. aren't you? In, in- I run, wow. You are like my favorite person. Yes. I'm <laughs> running the, I haven't even talked about this on like a podcast yet. I'm running the Boston marathon in the spring. Um, I'm fundraising for it. So everyone listening, sorry in advance, you're going to get links to me asking for money. But Thanks. in two years ago, my brother was running his first marathon in Nashville, which is mm-hmm. uh, like six hours south of where I am now. Um, my father, who is 74, was running his like fifth half marathon. We're one of those families, like very wow. annoying. Yes. So I was planning on running the marathon with my brother and I hurt my hip um, throughout training. It, it happens, you know, runners, mm-hmm. we all get hurt because the aforementioned pounding on the ground. So while I was rehabbing, my physical therapist was like, you know, like my physical therapist was in the same building as where I was working out. And I asked, I was like, what can I do to keep up my cardio? And she's like, we have a pool here. I was like, okay, I will try it. Nothing, A, nothing has ever been more humbling in my entire (laughs) life to go from being a admittedly very fast runner (laughs) to being so bad at swimming. Like I was, I, the first, I, I remember, I will never forget this. Like I was going down and back. I had to use flippers because I was just like, I needed some form of like cheating. Um, but I was, I was swimming. I would go, I could do, I got to the point where I could do like down, back, down, back. And then I would need to break. And there were these like old, like 80 year old men just doing their little like casual back and forth, never stopping. And I'm sitting there and one of them finally stops. And I'm like, like the type of breathing where you would look at me and be like, is he okay? I was like, <laughs> and like, I look at this man and I was like, does it ever get easier? And he looks at me, just total deadpan, the most, the best comedic timing of any person I've ever met. He goes, not with the way that you're doing it. And I was like, oh, fun. <laughs> and like, and then I start laughing and he goes, but you can take solace in knowing you're working harder than anyone else in the pool. <laughs> 
And he just so thoroughly like thrashed me in the funniest way possible. And so for a while I was going, I got okay, never good. But like the moment my physical therapist was like, you can start running again. I was like, and off we go. And I <laughs> yeah. just, but you talk it. So the reason I brought it up, was, I was laughing when you're like, you know, people want to be outside and enjoying like the changing of the seasons. All I could think of with every lap I was swimming was like, when can I get out of When can I stop running? When I can I stop stop swimming and start running? Yeah. That is so true. I really completely agree though. I think swimming is such good exercise and it is oh, so yeah. trying and it's such a I actually okay, I actually looked this up because um in preparation for this podcast, because mm. I was I kind of wanted to think about like why it's so difficult and it like it exercises every single muscle group in your whole body Mm -hmm. and obviously it's like amazing amazing for your health um if you're like lucky enough to be able to swim and have access to a pool it's um okay so I listened to this Michael Mosley podcast on just one called just one thing and Mm -hmm. there's a whole episode about swimming I heard the other day and it says about how good it is for your heart um and your reaction times it improves the elasticity of your arteries and your memory because it increases all the blood flow to your brain Mm. good for your joints which is probably why you were doing it for recovery because it's anti-inflammatory and it yeah works all the muscle groups um high resistance which is why it's so tiring i know how you feel i used to come out of the pool and have bright bright red I mean, I go like a cherry when I exercise and I always at school used to get this little pale bit here Mm -hmm. um, above my lips. And that is exactly what used to happen to me when I used to get out of the pool at first. I would be so bright red. It's just amazing exercise, amazing for your body. And and see, this is why I wish I liked it more because I I know (laughs) how good it is. Like my, so my, I mentioned my dad, he's a runner. He has He's also been a racquetball player like his whole life. He's had both of his shoulders replaced. He's getting, he's having a hip replacement like, coming up in a couple of months or actually next month. And so like, I know that it, I'm staring at my future. I know this. I inherently know like I should run. I should cycle. Or I know, I'm sorry. I should swim. I should cycle. Mm. I So was it something when you first started, you were instantly like, oh, I love this. Or did you have to learn to love it? Because I'm, I'm seeking, this has now become a therapy session for me. Okay, so. no, this is great. I, this is... <laughs> I was going to say this is what I was hoping for, but it's it's obviously Beautiful. not. And, <laughs> um, you know, I think because for me, it was associated so much with it was the only thing exercise that I could do and mm. um, that I just kind of immediately loved it because it was giving me those endorphins, which yeah. as a runner, you will know are so key. <laughs> Yes. Um, but yeah, before that, I was also a runner. I mean, definitely not as serious as you, but um basically running was the only thing, the only exercise that I would do. Mm-hmm. And my parents always say to me, like, you need to be so careful of your knees and make sure you're going on, like running on the grass and not just on the concrete or the tarmac or whatever. Um, and then when I was coming up, when I was doing physio for the broken foot, the physio said to me, what do you normally do? And I said, I usually run five or six days a week. And he said to me, you should really, you should really cross train. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just, it, um, sort of emphasizing what you've already said but you should do weight sessions during the week which I never do because I have a whole thing about going into gyms which I won't go into um and you should swim and as you said cycling is really good as well um but you need to make sure you're doing that impact training as well as the cardio stuff because Mm -hmm. it actually lowers 
well, it doesn't lower your bone density, but it's really not good for your bone density to just yeah. run, which I didn't realize before this injury. So I guess it was like one of those things that when you love running, I so understand it's just one of those things that you don't really want to do anything else because nothing yeah. else feels as good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would encourage you to give swimming another try because I think it can be really great once you get past those initial stages of, um, of yeah. Gonna die. Well, part, so part of it for me was, and this will make you laugh as someone who swims now I, and other people can just picture in their head. Like for a while I was like, I wasn't putting my head under, like I it was like, keep my head above water while swimming. Mm-hmm. So I was almost like craning my neck for 45 minutes at a time to like keep it above the water. <laughs> Right, because I wasn't wearing goggles, and so I finally grabbed goggles, and then I was like, "That yeah. helped a little bit." But like, I, I it's one of those. I, so I do. I go to the gym a couple times a week as well, in addition to the mm-hmm. running. And I, especially with like starting the cycle for training for another marathon, I was like, I actually went to the gym yesterday and I did legs, and like, it's so funny to be so good at running and like have my legs be so much weaker than they used to be. And like from a lifting standpoint, like today I was hobbling around this morning after going to the gym as if I had just run another marathon just because it's such a different soreness. But like, you're absolutely right. Like being well-balanced, it's like anything else. Like you don't want to, you know, ju- like salad is extremely healthy for you, but you don't just, you need more than just salad. You need carbs and you need, you know, protein. And like, same thing. It, running is good for you to a point, but like, you're, like it's just, I totally understand. And I want to love swimming. I do. I want to love it so, so bad. (laughs) I think it's like anything else. Like I'm, I want to be good at it. And I'm sure the better I get, the more I will enjoy it. But I completely, I so get that. I think I love that analogy about the balance. I I hadn't thought about it that way before. Um, But you're so right. It's, it's one of those things, isn't it? That you just need that kind of balance in your exercise routine. Um, but also I think probably as a marathon runner, I can imagine that you're so used to like smashing what you're doing. And then I, I had this with like starting swimming. I was like, wow, I'm not practiced at this. And then it's kind of wrapping your head around the fact that like, wow, okay, so I'm going to just go in the slow lane for a bit mm-hmm. and that's okay. And then once I can move up to the middle lane and then like maybe the fast lane one day, then that's fine. But that was actually quite a good exercise mentally for me as well, was just thinking, okay, actually, I can't always do th- things in life that I'm good at. Yeah. It's a good learning curve for me. And and in my case, it has given me something that I am really now passionate about and that I really enjoy for so many reasons, which yeah, yeah. maybe I can tempt you, begin to tempt you. No, you're you're absolutely right. There is an ego part about it of like knowing, like, oh, I like. I do the whole like look out on a map and I'm like, Oh, I could just run there. Like I, that's absolutely true. And like, it's, it's just so much easier for me at the end of the day to be like, oh, I'm just going to go out and run seven miles as opposed to like, Oh, I'm going to go spend an hour in the gym or, or whatever it is. But, amazing that you're running that. That is just incredible. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I just take a moment. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. But I want to, I want to ask you, cause like, you know, one of the questions I always ask people who come on here is how does their passion connects to their writing. So your, your debut novel, we're going to talk about it in just a little bit here, something about her. I'm curious if swimming has helped you, you know, if it's something you do before you start writing, if it like kind of sparks mm-hmm. the creative juices or if it's just like a fully separate thing connected to to your work. Like how does swimming interface with your writing life? I love that question. Um, I've actually... 
I was actually thinking about this yesterday because of this podcast and it's not something that I thought about before um but like I really enjoyed reflecting upon it because I think there are all sorts of ways that it does feed into writing Mm -hmm. um that I hadn't really thought about so I've actually got a few ways so I think it it helps the first way I think it's a really good almost like a mindfulness exercise in terms of it being very meditative and all you have to think about is the next stroke and the next stroke after that and mm-hmm. your breath and this repetitive movement and I think actually it's not that that helps me so much with writing but it's almost like it's a very similar state that I get mm-hmm. into when I'm writing which is that you feel like you're kind of in this other world um and it's and you're kind of locked in this almost heaven-like state where you're sort of just really immersed in something meditative and I absolutely love that about swimming it's just that kind of um being in that kind of space is really great and I think that yeah I would I think that it doesn't necessarily help but it is very similar to writing and that's maybe one of the reasons that I enjoy it yeah no that that's really interesting I that's I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Like when you're writing and you're in the middle of a story, like if someone were to ask you like, well, how did you think of this whole story? Like there's, you don't, there's no way to answer someone who asks that type of question, but it's sort of like you said, it's like you're almost outside of your body, just like putting stuff down. And then as you go, like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had that moment where like, I'll write, I'll have a writing session, then I'll stop and I'll look back at it and be like, I don't even remember writing that. Like, yeah. <laughs> And that is very much like, I mean, sort of the same thing with running. Like I'll look at my route and be like, I don't even remember like, like going past that place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I I think you, I think you're so right. That comes with running as well. I think it's that just that kind of thing of the ultimate escape, but, and it kind of, and I think also for me being in the water really emphasizes that because you are literally in this like huge tub of blue water that when you get into it to me because you're underwater you're kind of not you're not breathing properly you're not doing things that you would normally do day to day um so it just kind of exaggerates that feeling of it being something that's alien and contained in that time and yeah I really love that it's really great (laughs) I'm curious for you so when I, I when I run I do get ideas for both like work and and creative writing and stuff I do have stuff percolating Mm-hmm. it'll just like pop up and like I'll I'll stop and like put it in my notes app um admittedly for me when I was swimming it was like just get to the next wall don't drown <laughs> so I couldn't focus on anything else because again I wasn't great at it but like are you while you're swimming kind of in that meditative state are you thinking about your stories definitely definitely yeah. and I think that actually happen is happening more and more um and often I'll get out of the pool and get my notebook out and like or my phone out with my notes app and write a few things down that I've thought about and um it is really nice to have that time as well like I'm sure you have this when you're running that you don't you kind of there's nothing apart from what you're mm-hmm. doing and obviously there's that gives you the time to have things in your mind yeah um, and that is really nice as well to have that chance whereas when you're doing other stuff during the day you kind of don't have that mental space mm-hmm. in the same way were you were you swimming when you were writing something about her? I wasn't. No, I I I always wish I had been. No, I wasn't. I only started swimming in January, so it was when I was going into final the kind of final edits or something about her. Yeah. Um but the next book I 
has been like thinking about it a lot in my head as I've been swimming. And so, mm-hmm. and that's quite nice, actually. I haven't, this is so great, this podcast, because I haven't thought about <laughs> any of this stuff. And you're kind of making me have all these big realizations. I think I have thought about it a lot in the pool. And mm-hmm. I'm sure actually, when I think back to writing this other book I will probably think about the pool as one of my associations with this book yeah yeah so what kind of sparked the idea for something about her I want want to kind of I want to talk about the the book for a little while and we were talking before we started recording how uh earlier this year my partner and I were in Ireland and Scotland and I told you how excited I got because you know one of the settings of the of the the book is the University of Edinburgh so like what what sparked this this story for you? What made you want to write this story? Sure. Um, yeah, there's kind of two parts to this answer. The first, the first part is that I really think I would have loved to read a book like this at school. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was something that at school I was really bad at English literature. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed it, but I was I always get really bad grades and um you know, we were reading all of the classic, incredible texts like Pride and Prejudice and Romeo and Juliet and stuff like this. But I think for me, um, I really wish at that point in my life, I would have been able to read a book with this kind of queer romance at the centre. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to write something about her was to really home in on that relationship and think about, this leads on to the second part uh, of the answer, which is that I really wanted to think about some of the core kind of complexities that are happening for young women at that time of life, um, mm-hmm. kind of leading from the late stages of school into, if you go to college, the, the early years of college. Um, but just generally that time of your life. So things like that obviously come up in the book, like trauma, um, sexuality, and like the meaning of friends and your family um, transitioning, that kind of stage of transitioning and moving somewhere that you've never been before. All of this kind of amalgamation of things was something that I really wanted to focus on. Um, and yeah, Edinburgh was also a big, I think I, we, we spoke about this before you started recording, but mm-hmm. yeah, Edinburgh was kind of a place as well that inspired me. I think it's a very easy place. I'm sure you can relate to this when you're walking around to kind of oh, imagine things um, and to be inspired and um I think it's one of those very unique places that captures all the sides of human experience. It's, it's so kind of dark and elusive and mm-hmm. always ghostly, but at the same time, um, and eerie, but at the same time, it's so bright and beautiful and angelic. And I think that for me, also setting the book there, that's almost for me, like the third, ca- the third protagonist of the book, along with Myron Ashling, is Edinburgh and having having it be that the place where they experience all these things was also very important to me. Yeah. It, it's something where a, like you were talking about with like this time of our lives is so interesting because it is like, it's like big emotion stacked on big emotion stacked on big emotion. It's like you're experiencing what it truly means to be an adult member of society for the first time while still being a kid, kind of your, you know, either falling in love for the first time or trying to figure out the type of person you want to love. If you want to love everyone, you're leaving or losing friends and making new friends. And like you said, like, even like with, like with parents, like, you know, even removing like 
coming to terms, like whether or not your parents accept the choices you make, whether it's the partner you want to have or the thing you want to study or the place you want to go. Yeah. It's also this like subtle switch between these people who have been like in charge of you, but like have been like watching over you for all this time. Like now all of a sudden it slowly starts to begin that process. Whereas becoming an adult, you tend to, like you start to realize there are moments in your life where you're going to know more than your parents. And so like it's all of these huge emotions. And like you said, then you, you put it in this place of Edinburgh where like, I, I'm not going to, I won't be able to do it justice, but you, you're absolutely right. Like every single corner of Edinburgh feels steeped in history in both like a positive and a super dark way. In both. <laughs> and so it's like, it is this very emotional place. And when I was there, it was shockingly sunny, but I know the majority of the time there, it's like gray. Wow. And, was it? You're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I, I love this idea of like, it, it I, there's a word that in the description of your book, which is claustrophobic, um, which I, I love because like in a weird way, Edinburgh feels both like expansive and claustrophobic because of the way like it's hilly with these huge like castles and churches and everything is surrounding you. And like, exactly. Yeah. It, I, I love so true. I love that. It's almost like it's cozy, but it's expansive. I absolutely love that. And when, I don't know if you, when you went there, did you walk up towards Arthur's seat? We, yes so yes we, you we did, did okay yeah. and I think that is also amazing because it's one of those times where I think when you're underneath Arthur's seat and it's kind of it's towering over you and you have and I mean it's so majestic it's just mm-hmm. really incredible and it almost feels like to me I always think of it as like the back of an animal or something it feels like it's going to like rear its head or or something mm-hmm. and I think seeing Edinburgh from that perspective is just incredible where you can kind of look down and you can see from the sea you can see from leaf all the way um like into the center mm-hmm. uh and and kind of all the churches and the castle and the houses and the meadows and everything as well um yeah it's a really really special place um and and yeah it's so it's so true i think that it it is sort of great that it can for me, it's just so characterful and mm-hmm. it really just captures everything that I'm try- trying to capture in the book. But I don't know if I can ever do it justice in writing because I think you have to see it to, to Oh, see yeah. It. <laughs> to, yeah, to describe Edinburgh and to see Edinburgh, two completely different things. Exactly, yeah. I, I want to I ask you about that because you're talking about like, you know, the you're, you wrote this book about these, these, like I said, these massive emotions and these these relationships that come and go in our lives and like both expected and unexpected ways. And you put it in this place where there's so much history and, and emotion, like in, in every single corner for you, what was the most challenging part of writing the story, especially with it being your, your debut novel? Like, mm-hmm. was it, you know, writing these characters and their relationships? Was it trying to figure out like how to move a plot along like what for you was was challenging about this book mm, that's a great question yeah I think there are a few elements and elements I found um challenging I think I think one of them was that so the reason that I started it turned it into a novel was that initially I'd written it as a short story mm-hmm. which was essentially just a shortened version of the first part of the book so it was really the Ashling part of the book um that was a short story and then after I'd written this short story I thought to myself like I'd really love to turn this into a novel um so Ashling as a character was always 
very palpable, uh, very kind of, I could always touch her. I could always see her. I always kind of knew her. Mm-hmm. I think, I think one of the challenges for me was making Maya that real. Um, and Maya took a lot more kind of development, mm. but almost it was kind of like I was going on just different journeys with the two of them. And that sort of made it more special when I got to know Maya in a way, I think, um, so that was kind of one of the elements that was challenging for me, I think, was really creating these two characters who I knew equally and therefore mm-hmm. could know each other equally as well. I think obviously that's all tied in together in a book, writing a book as well. Yeah, um, I, that's that's really interesting. I, I, I was going to ask if, if there's one that you saw yourself in more than the mm-hmm. other. Kind of sounds like yes, but I could be wrong. I don't know. You know, I think it's really funny, actually, the other day, my sister... Um, saw something about the two about the two girls um on my social media about the differences between them or something and she sent me a message saying this is the two sides of your personality (laughs) (laughs) and I was like I'm gonna take that as a compliment because I think there are definitely aspects of me in in both of them but also which is bound to happen as a writer like as I'm Mm -hmm. sure you know that that you're you kind of are your your knowledge and experiences are inevitably in the book but also they're so involved into their own people and outside of me, which I love because I always say it's like having these invisible friends who you just get to go and hang out with when you're writing, which I really enjoyed. And um, so definitely I can see parts of me in them, but they are so, to me, real people in my head mm-hmm. um, that they're like my friends. <laughs> yeah, I... So I remember somebody, I can't remember who it was, uh, but I had an author tell me like every character they've ever written was a like small aspect of themselves heightened to like either the best or the worst or the most extreme possible version of that like one emotion. Like whether it was the kindness that they feel like they have or the selfishness that they feel or the like jealousy that they feel when they see someone else succeed they're like I'm happy for them but like there's a twinge of jealousy so like every version every character they wrote was like take that whatever it is and just like ratchet it up to 10 like as hard as hard as you can go and yeah and I thought about that like the the manuscript I'm I'm querying is like the main character is like an 85 year old man like I am not Uh an 85 year old man but he has this like like this vein of nostalgia which is I'm a very nostalgic person and it's just like cranking that up as high as it can go absolutely this person yeah so like I, I think you're right like the calling them like friends you can go hang out there's another like way of thinking about it too like these people you can go and be like oh I'm gonna I want to dive back into their lives mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, yeah and I so yeah I, I think that's so interesting I I definitely think because I, I often have people ask me this question of like oh is this based on your experience and and of course part of the answer yeah. is yes but most of the answer is it kind of was initially and then you're so right it kind of develops and snowballs into something completely different Mm -hmm. and I think one of the interesting things for me writing to bring to bring it back to swimming actually yeah as well is that I think one of the major um things that swimming or just I guess like team sport I mean I know swimming isn't a team sport in the way that I'm doing it but sport in general has taught me is that ability to listen to people and to um like react to people and what they're doing and I think when you're lane swimming you really have to be you know spatially aware of where people are 
And in, in its own way, that's kind of like listening to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also something that I've come across over, over the last few months with swimming is like listening to the, these podcasts about it, like reading these books about it, like the Lido and the Tidal Year and Small Bodies of Water um, and thinking about how swimming really encapsulates stories. And it's mm-hmm. so special to listen to those. And I think that part of writing is listening, is listening to, yeah, other people around you who have these stories which might inspire your books and like mm-hmm. listening to yourself, of course. Um, but also listening to the characters as they develop themselves and and they kind of organically turn into these people who maybe you've like planted a seed, but they kind of start to grow in this direction that you maybe didn't anticipate. I think that's been really special for me and something that I'm still learning about obviously is my debut novel coming out so I'm no expert but it's been a really enjoyable kind of experience that that experience of um of growing to listen to the people on the page who you create yeah it it almost feels like it's a it's like a learned practice of patience for both like absolutely you have to be patient with like that my my day job, I, I do marketing. A lot of that is writing. And like a lot of it is like me staring off into the wall and like being yeah. patient and trying. And it's so, sort of the same thing with with stories. And I imagine it's kind of the same way with swimming. It's, it is like stroke after stroke. Like it's repetitive, just like running, but it's like you're patient in the sense that you have to both, like you said, we like we talked about earlier, you can kind of zone out, but you kind of have to just focus in the moment a little bit and be like, yeah. Okay, one after the other after the other sort of a situation. Exactly, exactly. And I also, yeah, I love this, um, as you were talking about earlier with the Lido, like I love this element of um, community that you get as well at the Mm -hmm. pool, like the people who you see and and maybe you have this on your runs as well. If you're going the same routes, you kind of tend, if you're going at the same time of Mm day-ish, then you kind of tend to see the same people. And I think that's what's really nice about swimming as well is if I tend to go at the same time, Mm-hmm. I become familiar or like I start to chat to the people and it's kind yeah. of these characters and um that you meet and like everything is just so um kind of um it really like fills you up in that way it's just it's just great to see the same the same faces and everything and obviously the Lido is all about this community and how important the pool is for community and I'm kind of really starting to see that as well so that's really great I love that. Okay, I have one last question for you. I always end every episode by having a recommendation from the author who has been on. It can be a book. It can be something entirely different. It can oh, you can God. tell people to go swimming if you would like. <laughs> um, but what what is something you want to recommend to me? Okay, well, I'll stick to I will stick to the swimming trend actually, mm-hmm. and um, I will recommend. I've already mentioned it, but the Tidal Year by Freya Bromley. Mm-hmm. Um, which is both a book and a podcast. So you can pick whichever you want. Um, if you prefer podcasts, which I'm guessing people who are listening to your podcast <laughs> enjoy podcasts, um, then the podcast is amazing. It has guests on to talk about why they love swimming and kind of bring out their stories related to swimming. And then Freya's book as well is absolutely beautiful. Um, it's a it's a memoir about her brother died, uh, I guess like seven years ago now. And so she was kind of trying to come to terms with that. Uh, and she decided to swim every tidal pool in the UK. Wow. And so it's kind of a book about swimming and and grief 
And yeah, it's just such, such a beautiful book. So I would recommend that as well. That is a fantastic recommendation. Clementine, speaking of recommending books, something about her is such like a beautifully, fully realized story that I just loved. And I told you before, like right when we were chatting at the beginning, like sometimes people come on the Zoom chat with me and instantly I'm like, oh, I think we're going to be fast friends. And (laughs) we were joking about this in Europe beforehand. And this was so much fun. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy to geek out about swimming and writing for 45 minutes. I couldn't imagine a better way to end the day. So thank you for having me. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.